This is Space Time, Series 27, Episode 20, for broadcast on the 14th of February, 2024. Coming up on Space Time, the discovery of a galaxy that shouldn't exist, Virgin Galactic grounded again, and NASA is targeting today for the launch of the Odysseus lunar lander to the moon. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers using NASA's Webb Space Telescope have discovered a dwarf galaxy that shouldn't exist. The serendipitous observation reported in the Astrophysical Journal Letters is strange because this galaxy isn't interacting with nearby galaxies and it isn't forming any new stars. The galaxy is catalogued as Pearl SDG and it's relatively close, located some 98 light years away. Galaxies are bound together by gravity and they're made up of stars and planets with vast clouds of gas and dust as well as lots of unknown dark matter. And dwarf galaxies are the most abundant galaxies in the universe and are, by definition, small with low luminosity. They usually have fewer than 100 million stars, compared to somewhere like the Milky Way, which has some 200 billion. Recent dwarf galaxy observations of the large abundance of ultra-diffuse galaxies beyond the reach of previous large spectroscopic surveys suggest that our understanding of dwarf galaxy populations may be incomplete. The study's lead author, Tim Charlton from the Arizona State University, says he was looking initially at a cluster of galaxies as part of the Webb-Pearl project. He says the dwarf galaxy wasn't the target, however it just happened to appear in some of the imaging. And his team were intrigued, because Pearl SDG was an interesting case of an isolated quiescent galaxy that didn't have the usual characteristics of a dwarf galaxy. So all of the archival imaging data, observing at ultraviolet, optical and infrared wavelengths, was all pulled together to study the colours of Pearl SDG. See, newly formed stars have specific colour signatures, so the absence of such signatures was used to show that Pearl SDG wasn't forming new stars. Carlton says these types of isolated quiescent dwarf galaxies haven't really been seen before, except in very few isolated cases. In fact, they're not really expected to exist, given science's current understanding of galaxy evolution. So the fact that we see this object and it's so close will help scientists develop new theories on galaxy formation. Until now, astronomers' understanding of galaxy evolution showed isolated galaxies that continue to form young stars would do so as a result of interacting with a more massive companion galaxy. But this galactic merger hypothesis for galaxy evolution doesn't apply to Pearl SDG. So, Pearl SDG actually represents an old stellar population, not forming many new stars and keeping to itself. In a further surprise, the stars in this galaxy all appear to be very bright in Webb's infrared wavelengths, making them easy to isolate, which itself is unusual for a galaxy at this distance. The discovery of Pearl SDG suggests the possibility that many isolated quiescent galaxies are out there waiting to be identified, and luckily, the James Webb Space Telescope has the tools to do so. This is Space Time. Still to come, Virgin Galactic grounded again, and NASA is targeting today for the launch of the Odysseus lunar lander to the moon. All that and more still to come on Space Time.
Virgin Galactic has been forced to ground its space tourism operations after an alignment pin detached from its White Knight 2 mothership during the Galactic 06 mission. Virgin says the safety of the mission was not impacted by the event and the discovery of the missing part was detected later during routine ground checks. The company then reported the issue to the Federal Aviation Administration and grounded operations pending a full investigation. The alignment pin is designed to ensure that the spaceships align to the mothership when mating the vehicles together on the ground during pre-flight procedures. Unity's wind rocket plane is mounted on a special pylon below the central wing spar between the White Knight 2 mothership's twin-bodied fuselage. This alignment pin also helps transfer drag and other forces from the space plane to the pylon. The four-engined White Knight 2 then takes off horizontally from a conventional runway, carrying the space plane beneath it up to an altitude of about 14 kilometres, 45,000 feet. Here, the spacecraft is released or drop-launched, then lights up its hybrid rocket engine and accelerates vertically towards the edge of space, reaching an altitude of around 88 kilometres before gliding back to Earth for a conventional runway landing. Virgin Galactic has been offering commercial space tourism missions to the edge of space since August last year. Virgin says it will provide further updates at the completion of the joint FAA review and will confirm the flight window for its Galactic 07 mission, which was slated for the second quarter of this year. We'll keep you informed. This Space Time. Still to come, NASA is targeting today for the launch of the Odysseus lunar lander to the moon. And a Cygnus cargo ship arrives at the International Space Station. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, Incogni. Consider this our digital wellness spotlight. Today, we're driving into something that affects us all, but often flies under the radar, namely our digital privacy. In the shadows of the internet, data brokers are busy piecing together your profile and that of every member in your family. And they're alarmingly detailed. These shadow profiles include all your personal details and all your interests. And guess what? They're not just sitting there. They're being used by scammers, insurance companies, banks, businesses, even the government. Have you ever wondered why you keep getting spam calls and emails? That's right. Our inboxes and daily lives are being flooded with these nuisances because our information's all out there, right for the picking. And it gets worse. Scammers use these details to target you, leveraging information like income levels, health conditions, and of course, all your family members, in order to weave their deceptive webs. But it's not just about being targeted for scams. It's the sheer invasion of privacy. People search sites and you end up giving strangers access to your address, contact numbers, and family details. Of course, the big one these days is identity theft. Cyber criminals need just a few pieces of your personal information in order to wreak total havoc on your life. And data brokers are often where they start. Now here's the good news. Incogni is stepping in to offer you a way out. Now if you're a space-time listener, we'll give you a 60% discount simply by going to incogni.com slash Gary, where you can shield your personal information from public access, drastically reduce the risk of identity theft, and stop your data from being sold to the highest bidder. Imagine a life with fewer spam calls, no unexpected privacy invasions, 
and a significant reduction in scam risks. Incogni makes this possible. So head on over to incogni.com slash Stuart Gary to claim your peace of mind. That's incogni.com slash Stuart Gary. And that's incogni spelled I-N-C-O-G-N-I. Don't let your personal information become just another commodity in the digital marketplace. Take control with Incogni. Stay safe, stay private, and keep tuning in for more ways to protect your digital well-being. And of course, there are links in the show notes and on our website. And now, it's back to our show. You're listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA is targeting today for the launch of its next scientific mission to the moon. The Intuitive Machines IM-1 mission will launch to the Lunar South Pole region aboard a Falcon 9 rocket from the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida. The flight will carry the company's new robotic Nova Sea lander, Odysseus. It'll attempt to become the first privately built spacecraft to successfully land on the lunar surface. The mission is part of NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services Initiative, which is designed to bring down the cost of scientific investigations and technology demonstrations going to the moon and to make them more routine in the lead-up to the Artemis Man missions, which, while delayed, are still slated for later this decade. Among the NASA-provided research payloads flying aboard the IM-1 mission will be ROLSUS, the radio wave observation at the lunar surface of the photoelectron sheath span instrument package. It's designed to observe the moon's surface environment in radio frequencies. This will determine how both natural and human-generated noise activity near the surface of the moon interacts with and in fact could interfere with science being conducted there. Rolls Instrument Project Head Nat Swami from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, says the project uses four two-and-a-half-meter-long antennas to observe whatever radio emissions are present on the moon. The main purpose will be to account for the variety of radiation generated by cosmic phenomena as well as human activity on Earth, each of which produces its own dynamic spectral patterns. These include natural radio emissions coming from the Earth associated with auroral activity as well as emissions from Jupiter and the Sun and even from the rest of the Milky Way galaxy. Another source of radio interference will be the lunar lander itself. By identifying all these existing different types of interference, scientists will be able to sift through the noise in order to hone in on the real data. The four Rolls's antennas are mounted at two different heights, meaning that once they begin taking measurements, they'll be able to provide information on variations in the cloud of negatively charged electrons being blasted from the lunar surface by sunlight and how it changes between different altitudes. This way, scientists will be able to measure the electron's density based upon their distance from the surface. Swami says this information will be essential when it comes time to design and build future lunar observatories. I'm here to talk to you about an exciting radio telescope that is going to be placed on the moon. It is called ROLSIS. It stands for Radio Wave Observations from the Lunar Surface of the Photoelectron Sheet. It's a mouthful, but actually it's a very simple instrument, and it's going to detect all kinds of radio emission that is falling on the moon. Right now it is close to solar maximum, so the sun is producing a lot of coronal mass ejections and uh, radio emission associated with them. And we can detect these radio bursts from the sun. Uh, Jupiter can produce radio emission in this uh, wavelength that we are interested in, and we can observe Jupiter. Even the Milky Way galaxy produces low level of radio emission. We can detect those radio emission. We also produce a lot of radio emission by man-made transmitters from Earth, and these radio interference can reach the moon. 
Characterization of the radio environment of the moon is very important. It has not been completely done, and therefore Rolls-Royce will be able to contribute in identifying various uh, sources of radio emission on the sun. If you're setting up an observatory on the moon, we should know what kind of radio interference we get there. That's Nate Gopalswamy from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. And this is Space Time. Still to come, a Cygnus cargo ship docks with the International Space Station... And later in the science report, higher levels of air pollution and an increased risk of death have been linked to cardiovascular disease. All that and more still to come on Space Time. A Northrop Grumman Cygnus cargo ship carrying some 3,726 kilograms of equipment and supplies has successfully docked to the International Space Station. The NG-20 mission had launched two days earlier, Space Launch Complex 40 at the Cape Canaveral Space Force Base in Florida, aboard a Falcon 9 rocket. Northrop Grumman subcontracted SpaceX at its Falcon 9 for the launch service as they continue to develop the new Antares 300 series rocket, which will replace their previous 200 series, which used Russian-supplied rocket engines on their first stage boosters. The need for a replacement comes in the wake of the ban by the West on the use of Russian technology following Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. It's the first of three planned Cygnus missions using Falcon 9s before the new American-built rocket engines are available. Following the launch, main engine cutoff and stage separation, the Falcon 9 core stage flipped over, undertook a boost back burn and flew itself back to one of the landing pads at Cape Canaveral where it performed the perfect touchdown. Meanwhile, the second stage and the Cygnus continued to climb to orbit. Included in the manifest for the orbiting outpost is new equipment to test 3D printing technologies in space. See, 3D printing will be really useful in long-duration spaceflight to replace damaged equipment or to manufacture new components as needed. Also aboard was the new surgical robot, which has been set up to test its performance in orbit. Other supplies include 1,139 kilograms of scientific experiments and equipment, 1,131 kilograms of space station hardware, 16 kilograms of spacewalking equipment, 1,129 kilograms of fresh food, water and crew supplies, and 67 kilograms of computer resources. Cygnus will stay attached to the space station for up to six months, providing additional space for crew and booster services to increase the space station's orbital altitude as needed. See, the space station normally orbits at an altitude of somewhere between 420 and 400 kilometres. But atmospheric drag caused by the rarefied atmosphere at that altitude causes orbital decay, and that means occasional boosts need to be undertaken in order to retain a cruising altitude. These used to be carried out regularly by space shuttle visits. But following the demise of the space shuttle program 13 years ago, Russian Progress cargo ships have been undertaking the function. Now, following the Kremlin's invasion of Ukraine, the United States wants to take a bigger role in maintaining flight operations aboard the orbiting outpost. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. 
An analysis of data from 183 World Health Organization member states has found a clear link between higher levels of air pollution and an increased risk of death from cardiovascular diseases. A report in the journal Chronic Diseases and Translational Medicine found the link was stronger in low-income countries with 70 deaths per 100,000 people compared to just 16 deaths per 100,000 in wealthier nations. It seems the major issue in lower-income countries was the use of polluting fuels and stoves in the home for cooking. The authors say this accounted for more than twice as many deaths from stroke as outdoor air pollution, with 39 deaths per 100,000 people. The findings highlight the health risks of air pollution and the need to consider it in additional lifestyle changes and disease management in order to curb deaths from heart-related diseases. Scientists have broken a new record in precision manufacturing as part of their quest to fabricate new silicon chips for use in future quantum computers. The team showed that phosphorus ions can be implanted into silicon crystal with 99.95% confidence, while at the same time being precisely located where you want them to be within the chip. A report in the journal Advanced Quantum Technologies claims the achievement is significant because the manufacturing method based on iron implantation is the same as that already used to make the binary bits in conventional computers. It therefore offers both flexible and scalable ways to fabricate donor qubits for quantum computers without having to reinvent the wheel. AI language models allegedly apply strict ethical codes when making decisions, but it seems there are exceptions. A report in the journal of the Royal Society Open Science say researchers asked large language models such as ChatGPT 3.5, Lima 2 and PAL-M2 a series of moral questions and found they generally made decisions that aligned closely with human moral principles, such as saving a human over belongings and sparing females over males. However, some, such as Limit 2, deviated, taking a more neutral stance on the lives of criminals versus non-offenders, for example. As AI becomes increasingly ingrained in every aspect of our lives, knowing how they make decisions is important, especially in decision-making related to transport, for example, where safety trade-off decisions are constantly being made. Apple's new Vision Pro augmented reality headsets are now out on the market, and everyday people are starting to buy and use them. With the details of how it's changing our lives, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from techadvice.life. They've been seen everywhere. People have been on the subway, swiping and moving things in thin air. They're seeing things in their field of view in the space around them, which is a little bit like Johnny Mnemonic or Minority Report, that age where you put on the headset and you're interacting with with the world in front of you with things that only you can see has arrived. And so what someone has done, for example, is that they're at home, they've got a monitor set up, from their Mac, they can resize it at will. They can have email messages from their iPhone and iPad. Now, there have been people walking through malls, walking down the street, and they're waving wildly in front of them, moving things around them, which are moving as they are moving. People have been driving Tesla cars, tapping at things in midair, looking quite strange. People are filming them as they drive, as the car is driving autonomously down the street. And they I've seen that are video, in, yeah. yeah. It is well, funny. This, then there's the dude at the basketball game who looks like he is conducting an orchestra. Exactly. And these people who are watching sports games, in front of their field of view, they have the sports game. On the side is all the stats. On the right-hand side is the replays. I mean, they're getting a better set of information than actually being live at the game itself. And they can, just by tapping and dragging with their hand, they can resize the image in front of them. I mean, the age of having a fixed screen of only 13 or 15 inches in 
front of you is over. Now, the age of having augmented reality with actual information in front of you that is contextual and moving around and you can have all these screens in front of you that you can peer through and you can turn them off and turn them back on. But this is version one. This is more or less a developer kit which is being sold to the public and it is generating enormous excitement. Clearly, version two, version three, version four will go from the three and a half to 5,000 Australian dollars, three and a half thousand US dollars. They'll come down to sub thousand if inflation doesn't uh, ruin everything for all of us and they will get smaller and smaller until they look like a pair of glasses. But at the moment, people are wearing them eating. They're wearing, they're wearing them everywhere. Very exciting. They're meant to sell 350,000 this year. Next year is meant to be three times that. The year after that, it's meant to be you know, even larger numbers. And this is the iPhone moment all over again, but vastly more profound, vastly more advanced, vastly more customizable, vastly more sci-fi. I remember when uh, cell phones first became the big deal. Yes, I'm that old. And uh, I remember seeing a dude standing on the sidewalk, talking on his cell phone, and we all looked at him from, we were in the newsroom at the ABC, where I was working at the time, and we all looked at him and what we a cra- What a crazy, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but of course now, and, I mean, and now you wouldn't think twice about it. Pretty soon, at least if you're living in the city, you won't be able to walk down the street or go to a shop or interact with a store. I mean, it might take 10 years, it might take 20 years, but probably it's going to be five years. You won't be able to interact in the digital world without having one of these headsets. If you don't have one, it'll be like everyone else has a mobile phone and you don't. Everyone else can be contacted, but you can't. But it'll be vastly more profound. I mean, you'll go to a shop and... Uh, a cafe, you sort of say, show me the menu, and the menu will be there. Everything will be there. This is changing human life in a way that it's difficult to comprehend until you see it. Does this mean the end of the cell phone? Just like we had a, a period of time where CDs and cassettes and, and records still existed, that uh, CDs have been replaced by streaming. I mean, people still use them, but it's going to replace them eventually, but at the moment, no. At the moment, it's going to be quite some time, especially given the fact that Vision Pro headset is much more expensive, you know, 10 times more expensive than your typical mid-range or mid-to-low-range smartphone. I mean, not everyone's buying $3,000 iPhones, but uh, the price of those headsets will come down and eventually this will be the new mobile phone, but it'll take some years at least for that to happen. You've got a new gig on TNT. How's it going? Well, I've got four episodes of my TV show up now. If you go to techadvice.life, you can watch the interviews that I'm doing. And uh, if you go to tntradio.live, you can see all the shows there from myself and other people. And it's going great. I'm really loving it. I'm very grateful to be doing TV and radio with you. That's Alex Sahara-Vroid from techadvice.life. That's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from Spacetime with StuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. 
That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel, and on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 